Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is Marty Sledberg, again. I'm excited to have you with for another program here. We're talking today about how to craft a powerful devotional with our wonderful guest, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. And you are going to learn during the next hour the simple three-step formula for creating a great devotional, seven questions to help you identify powerful teaching moments from your life, secrets to help you make your decisions or devotions rather inspirational and transformational, how to find new ideas for devotionals, the secret of getting your work in periodicals, the five critical elements needed in every life-changing devotional, strategies to help you overcome writer's block when writing devotionals, and the number one best way to end your devotional. Our guest today is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith of IChooseMyBestLife.com. She is an internal medicine physician, author, and speaker sharing with audiences nationwide on healing from the inside out and experiencing personal renewal by drawing near to God. Welcome to you, Sandra. Thank you. Hi, Marnie. Thank you. Well, it's great to have you here, and I'm excited for you to be sharing all this stuff with us this afternoon uh, because writing a devotional is a little bit different from writing uh, your typical you know, article or blog post or whatever, and yet there's many things similar. Um, so where did you begin? Like, do you have some devotionals published online? Have you written a book about it? Or how did you begin writing devotionals? Um, It started after my first book. Um, I started doing a lot of speaking, and I started using some of the speaking topics to turn into devotionals. And so actually my second um, book, um, the book that I just released, is a book of devotionals. Oh, cool. What's the name of that one? It's Come Empty, Pour Out Life's Hurts, and Receive God's Healing Love. Mm, come empty. What do you think that, like, you have a background in, um, you're a medicine, medical physician. What do you think that that brings to your devotions that's unique from someone who doesn't have that kind of a background? Well, I think that's the key to, to anyone writing a devotional. You have to get on your niche, the thing that makes yours a little bit different, because Um, Mm -hmm. Just like with any type of publishing or writing, everyone's story is a little bit different just because of their personal experiences. So for me, often my devotionals have to do more with healing. Um, They have to do with overcoming things, either it's pain, mental or emotional or spiritual. Um, But that's the area that I have the most experience with personally and professionally. So those are easy for me to discuss because they're daily. Mm, absolutely. Well, let's go ahead and dive right into your three-step formula for creating a great devotional. Well, what I always start with when, um, when looking at a devotional is you have to be able to, it should feel personal. So I always start with, what do I or someone I know need to be reminded of today? Because if you start from that point, you don't start off preaching to people. You start off in a more friendly manner. So you start off with, okay, what is it that I can, what is it that if I was talking to my best friend 
and I know she's going through a difficult time, what is it that I or someone I know needs to be reminded of? That's number one. Number two is what scripture then addresses that need? So let's say a friend is going through a difficult time with um, infertility. What scripture addresses that need? Then we would pull up scriptures that have to do with the promises of God or that have to do with fertility. And then at that point, the third step is then to personalize it by writing it as if you were writing a letter or having a conversation with that person. Um, devotionals should be more personal. They, they do not read like typical nonfiction books or they do not read like a, um, like a medical textbook. They should read as a, as a personal conversation uh, or a personal story that you're drawing from. So I find by starting with those three steps, you're more likely to get into a, a flow of writing that's more conducive to a devotional. Well, I want us to come back and touch on these a little bit, but I want us to go forward because I think that we kind of swing around uh, back to this later on in the show. So let's go ahead and talk about, you've got seven questions actually to help you identify powerful teaching moments from your life. And once again, like you said earlier, the key to a powerful devotional is personalizing something. So what are the seven questions that we want to keep in mind? Well, every devotional should direct someone back to God. So the first question is, what events or what, what's happened in your life um, that has taught you something about God or that has shown you something about his personality, um, about who he is? The second question is, what events have happened in your life that have taught you something about yourself, uh, about your own strengths or about your own weaknesses? Um, both of these questions, because they are reflective, often will cause you to see the teaching moments within those events that have occurred. The third mm -hmm. question would be, um, what's a time that you've had to draw on your faith for strength? Often when you're looking at writing a devotional, you, they have to be topic specific to some degree um, so that they're not, uh, to keep it concise and simple, it has to have a specific topic. So when you're looking at um, these teaching moments, you can't have like this humongous teaching moment that's taught you 20 things. You're trying to narrow the focus down a little bit so that you can kind of pull out the nuggets from your life that you can get the most um, teaching from. And, and Sonia, before you go on to number four, why don't you mm -hmm. just pause a second? And as you're doing this, so do you like ask question number one, like what's happened um, that's really uh, taught me something about God? Uh, so do you just like brainstorm a whole page full of that kind of thing? Or do you stop at the first one that comes to your mind and just begin to think about it through? Or how do you do it? Uh, absolutely. It depends. And it depends on why I'm doing it. If I'm doing it for my blog, then I only need, or if I'm doing it for my newsletter, I may only need one devotion per per week to actually put on the blog or put on the newsletter. Um, but like for for my book, I needed I needed 80 devotions um, wow. for an entire book. Mm -hmm. So Great. what I did was this this is actually what I did. I went through these different um, questions. And I started brainstorming. And some of them I had no responses to because those aren't things that applied to me personally. Um, but I could, I could um, see it in the lives of others. And so within a devotional, if you have enough personal interaction with someone who has a very powerful teaching moment, you can even use that. That's why sometimes I, uh, as we continue on, if I try to keep it as personal as possible, but sometimes it's your child that you've watched something transpire in. 
and you and you can see the teaching moment sometimes even before they can see it. So you can even draw from those types of, of moments as well. Right, and and definitely you want to, if you're using someone else's story, you definitely want to shield that person, either change it so that it, it doesn't, you know, that it's not at all obvious who it is or get their permission or whatever it takes so that you're not um, telling someone else's story without their permission. But uh, that's such a great thing, too, to just, you know, we can expand this to what if I watch someone else learn, you know, like that. Okay, so what about number four then? Uh, number four is, have you ever received a blessing that was beyond what you had imagined? You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. we pull off the painful points of life um, and not so much the grace moments. And I think grace moments are great teaching points as well. When when God's blessed us in a way that we didn't anticipate and we can see kind of how he's worked through different painful or, or teaching points in our lives. Um, the fifth does have to do with pain. It's uh, looking at the part of our own individual story that was shaped or formed from a painful place. Um, I think those are some of the most powerful teaching moments because they're the ones we don't want to share oftentimes. Um, but they actually usually are the ones that have cut the deepest within um, our, our spirit. And so a lot of times there's a lot of passion that comes um, behind those. Uh, the sixth is have you or anyone uh, you know personally experienced a miracle? Uh, I think that's one area where we uh, hope is very lacking for most of the population. So any uh, devotions that lead us back to a place of hope are always needed and beneficial. And then the seventh is, what truth do you know now that you wish you knew five years ago? And I think sometimes yeah. teaching from that point of looking back at, oh, I wish I'd known that then. Well, you can te- you can teach it in a way that does not come across as preachy to someone in a devotional. Okay. So when you're thinking about a devotional, when you write your own. Like how many words are you shooting for or how long would it take someone to read it out loud or, you know, how do you, how do you decide what differs a devotional from, you know, a blog post or a chat or a white paper? Well, devotions should be short. They should not, um, usually I recommend that they stay within about the 300 um, word to at max about 500 word uh, range. Sometimes they're longer than that. When we talk about um, when we talk about submissions, um, some of those have more specific guidelines as wanting larger devotionals. But just for a general rule of thumb, 300 to 500 words. Usually, I'd recommend that you should be able to finish it in less than five minutes. That includes not only the devotional, but any other um, points that you have within it. Any any. PowerPoints that you may have to try to help people connect the dots from the devotional to the actual application of the devotional, um, any type of going deeper type questions you may have. The entire process should be fairly short, about a five minutes is what I recommend. Awesome. Well, we're going to take a little break and come back and about, talk about some secrets to help you make your devotions inspirational and transpiration, transformational as well as how to find new ideas. We'll be right back. And it's time for us to feature a speaker from WomenSpeakers.com. We do this every week, and today's feature speaker is Janet McHenry of Loyalton, California. Janet's uh, 
profile is over there at womenspeakers.com along with over 1,000 other Christian women speakers available to you for your events. You want to check that out. All of the speakers that are over there have contact information for you there as well as speakers like with a full page like Janet. She has six topics for you to pick from. Uh, She has some reviews from people who've heard her speak. Um, You can also look for resources over there, um, authors who've written books and have CDs and like that. And if you're a coordinator, you can search any time that you have time. There's no middleman, no waiting, no fees, and it's completely free for you to search any time, day or night. And that's all available for you over at womenspeakers.com. That's womenspeakers.com. Okay, right now we're going to bring our guest back. Welcome back, Sandra Dalton-Smith. And uh, your website is ichoosemybestlife.com. You have um, actually had quite a few things published. You have a couple books out. You've been um, published in Women's Day, Red Book, First for Women, and, and other things like that. And we're talking today about how to craft a powerful devotional. So I think we want to start with how to, um, how to help make a devotion inspirational and transformational. So first of all, maybe design like when you begin writing one of your uh, devotionals that you're going to have published, how do you think about inspirational transformation? I mean, do you have a definition for it that you like to stay within? Do you have a person you envision? Uh, how do you do it? Um, well, there's a couple of different parts to that. Um, as far as the inspirational and transformational part, you know, inspiration really is about making someone feel something. And I think that's the, the big difference between a devotional and just a blog post, so to speak, Um, with inspiration, you're wanting the person to read it to have an emotional response. Now, you have to think about what that emotional response is going into the writing because the word selections that you use, the choices that you you make in your sentence structure, all of that plays a part in the emotional response that that will occur. Once you decide, let's say if your emotional response you're looking for is you're trying to help someone be more hopeful in a, in a situation, once you decide that that's your, your goal feeling, the, net, the, the process of changing or going from inspiration to transformational, transformational is about making a change. So, okay, it's great to feel hopeful. Now, how do I help that person apply that to their personal life? So there is a change in how they feel and, how they feel and the response that they take. Because that's the, that's the next step. You want them to feel something, and you want them to respond. And so that response, as a devotional writer, you get to help them with that. That's the process of taking them from drawing them into the feeling to leading them to a process of an inspired action. So that at the end of the day, when they finish that devotion and they're, they're sitting down to reflect on it, they're thinking, you know, not just, oh, that was nice, and close it up. They're thinking, wow, how do, you know, what is my next step off of this? What is the next thing that I can now do using this information and this, this newfound hope that I have? Possibly the difference between a really great devotional and a good devotional, one that's only inspirational versus one that's inspirational and transformational? I think so. I think we, there's, um, that's why I think a lot of people, you know, probably one of the devotions that sticks out in people's minds the most would be Jesus Calling. And I think that's why there was, it was such a it such so profoundly touched people because it it caused the person to not only relate the the information and the conversation within the devotion, uh, it drew the inspiration part in. It made you feel something, but it also it made you want to respond. 
because it was yeah. in a conversational form, you wanted to respond back. You you wanted to, you wanted to be able to have the next step. And for many, that next step was a deeper relationship. Hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. We're going to talk next about how to find ideas for your devotions, but I don't want to leave this topic before you're done. Did you have anything else here that you wanted to talk about, about moving the conversation from inspirational to transformational? I think you do, when the beginning of writing, you have to have some idea of the direction that you want the devotion to go. Um, you know, we'll talk about in just a moment, kind of coming up with some of the ideas. But once you get the idea, you do have to have a kind of a start, a middle, and a finish, just like with the book. Uh, you know, it's it's short. It's only a couple of words, but there has to be a flow so that it so that it doesn't feel disjointed or or insincere um, in the the reading of it. So that the person reading it doesn't get kind of caught up in in the hangups, rather than being able to just appreciate appreciate the story as well as the action steps within it. And is transformation typically left till the end? I think the whole process is transformational to some degree, but because part of the transformation is drawing off that inspiration. So I think they work together. I think oftentimes what's missing a lot um, in great books or devotions is that that missing piece for them to be able to have an, an action step. I think the action step is the part of the transformation that, that most people don't feel is necessary but I think that's absolutely necessary for it to actually mm-hmm. be right. applicable to someone's life. Yeah, so true, so true. So how do you find the new ideas for devotions? And I know you've already given us a couple ideas, but um, why don't you go ahead and just share some more ideas for finding ideas? Well, uh, it's one of the strategies I also use for overcoming writer's block, but uh, finding new ideas can come from anywhere. Uh, I always like to start with with just your own life, just looking at kind of the things you're looking at and dealing with uh, right now, Uh, looking at the people that are in your immediate surroundings um, and the things that they're facing at the time. And then after that point, um, I know for me, whenever I'm getting stuck kind of about what I want to write about next, it actually helped me to to start going to places like uh, the news or pulling up recent news stories and start finding out kind of what's going on in the world. A lot of times if I'm reading a news story, a news story isn't necessarily trying to make me, to inspire me or to make me feel something, but sometimes they do. Um, and, if I, and if I have a certain response to something, then I can then use that as an outlet or as a muse, so to speak, to um, to craft a devotional. Uh, if I'm reading about something horrific that's happened across the world and I'm thinking, wow, I wish I could do something. Um, and, you know, I'm here, I'm not there, but I can, but the internet reaches everywhere. So maybe I can impart hope. Maybe I can impart peace. Maybe I can impart joy or love through that devotion. Now it gives you something to start, a, a place to start from. Because, when you're looking at life issues, I mean, it, it seems obvious, but yet I uh, should mention, like, when a mom writes a blog about being a mom, of course what she's going to attract to that blog is mostly moms in the same type of a situation as her because she's verbalizing and making um, poignant, uh, you know, references to things that are everyday common for them, but then bringing hope and bringing meaning to that. So those are kind of like a season of life type of a blog where you've got 
you know, I'm in this season, that's why these issues are interesting to me. Then, you know, the one you just mentioned, the news stories, that's more like a timely, you would need to, you know, not be pitching that six months out if it happened today. Uh, the news story would be something you'd put on your blog or something that you would uh, publish, you know, in a, in a shorter time frame than that. So when we think about it like that, um, other than season of life and world issues, the other type that I can think of um, right off the top of my head would be um, things that relate to certain industries, like people who are like you in the medical industry or people who are in uh, ministry or people who are, you know, in child care or in a teacher maybe. Um, and, again, you have a, a, a whole audience that would be interested in your perspectives about those things. So is there anything else that you're thinking of like that that um, would be a whole category? Uh, well, a category for ideas? Um, yeah. Well, I, and I think it has to be something you're already interested in. So um, things that are things that you already have a passion for, those are always places to draw from ideas because you're going to have a, you're going to have a, a more of an endless supply of knowledge to pull from. So I think it's good to look into things that are your personal hobbies, um, the things that you enjoy reading about or learning about, um, as far as finding ways to incorporate that into your devotions. Um, I know my husband's an avid runner, so he's really into that. So for him, doing a devotional for runners would be a no-brainer. <laughs> I have a friend who is uh, a nutritionalist, and every year, first of the year, she leads her church in the Daniels Fast. So, mm-hmm. you know, for her, it, it was it was just natural to, when she does her Daniels Fast, to to do devotions for every 20, all the 21 days because that's something she's passionate about. So I think it does help to look at your passions and try to find those areas where you, you automatically want people to share in your joy. Um, and there are, there are people. It's just a matter of finding, to find, kind of finding your tribe, um, but using those things that are already exciting to you and just expanding on them. Another thing that pops to the surface for me is, you know, like life issues, um, then you might even have just daily events where it's not a, it's not a whole life issue. But it did happen to you today. Like maybe somebody rear-ended you or, you know, I mean, that's not like a season of life, but it is something that happened today and it's something that people can relate to. Um, So those are, you know, those are other types of ones. What are some other ones that you had? Um, Emotions, uh, different emotions that are affecting Mm you, Um, you know, anger, uh, fear, um, joy, uh, using the emotions, the different types of emotions as a category. Um, as you mentioned, using life stressors, marriage, divorce, um, childbirth, empty nest, <laughs> you know, all of those um, are play a part of it. Um, other areas include specific illnesses or situations with illnesses, chronic disease uh, versus acute illness, um, dealing with um, being a caregiver versus being a patient, uh, just different uh, Basically, it's looking at the different angles of dealing with everyday life, um, whether you're from the, like I said, if you're the patient side versus the caregiver side. Um, and I think it does help to sometimes uh, when someone's looking for a devotional, they want someone they feel gets them, who understands. It's not writing from an outside perspective, but who actually has been there. There, There is something to be said about a devotional written from um, a person who's dealing with cancer or who has dealt with cancer to other cancer patients. 
You feel like this is this is a sister. You know, this is someone who really understands what I'm going through. And usually that comes out in the writing. It's it's more personal. It's it's more raw, and it, it and it um, brings in those inspirations and those feelings and and all the things that are needed to really draw you into the story. Mm-hmm, for sure. I was thinking too about um, like outings and locations and vacations and how there's just so many there's just so many places to draw things from and it's like anything else once you start looking you really can see a lot of ideas everywhere how do you keep track of your ideas like do you have a tickler file or do you have an online file what do you do well I I actually keep it all in a I have a section on my computer that that basically has everything that I have ever thought about writing or want to write or intend to write at some point in time, um, just all categorized. Um, and you're right, the, 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 the options are endless. I mean, I think the best example of that are the chicken soup for the soul books. I mean, right. they're basically right. devotional. And there's, I mean, there's probably a thousand different, you know, topics of books that are out there under yes, that category. Right. And each one of them is specific. You know, there's one to nurses, there's one to dog lovers, cat lovers. Um, so there's one for, for every type of, op, op, um, you know, love or like that's out there. So so absolutely, there's there's no limit to the area of ideas. I think it's just a matter of allowing yourself to just creatively tap into all the different possibilities. Yeah, and then, you know, no matter what you're talking about, if you're actually giving a devotion like at a – you know, a ladies' meeting, you're you're supposed to do the devotion or something like that. What's interesting about that is that you can actually think ahead to who your audience is, and you can tailor whatever you're talking about to to actually address the life stages of every person who's present. Even if you're talking about a childbirth experience or becoming a grandma or whatever, it doesn't matter. You can tailor it so that you can include everybody. Um, who's going to be there at that time. Most most devotionals, Sandra, do you feel like most devotionals are very targeted to a small audience or that most of them are, you know, that you want to write it more general and then target it as you go forward? Well, that's part of what I talk about in the five critical elements of a life-changing devotional. Okay. I've, had yep. some, I've read some great devotionals that were not audience-focused. Um, but it was harder for me. To, I had to kind of pull out the pieces even more to apply it to my life. Sure. The ones that I feel that actually have the most bang and, and really target in and, and people can get a lot out of them do tend to be a little bit more audience focused um, because it makes it easier for the, for the person who's reading it to then to see themselves within part of the story. Absolutely. Well, this is Marnie Sweberg visiting today with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Um, I choose my best life now. Uh, we're going to come right back and talk about how to find, or I'm sorry, how to um, the secret to getting your work in periodicals as well as five critical elements needed in every life-changing devotional. We'll be right back. Okay, we're going to take just a moment and talk about boot camps here today. 
So this is a Marnie.com feature, and over at Marnie.com you'll find all kinds of stuff. One of the things that you can access over there as a member or you can purchase them separately is the boot camps, and I really love boot camps. It's a time for me to hang out with you guys for a couple hours or even over several weeks in order to accomplish a particular goal. And all of the boot camps are archived in the membership zone for members, so whether you missed it or whether you want to join it um, live coming up boot camp, you can find it all over there. All of the boot camps include PowerPoints, MP3 audios, and questions and answers, as well as the download, usually a downloadable workbook. So just go over to Marnie.com and check all of that out over there. Great. Well, at this time, we're going to bring Sandra back, and we're going to talk about the secret to getting your work in periodicals. And uh, maybe first, let's talk about where where a new writer would find the type of periodicals that would um, publish devotionals. Um, well, it first depends on if they're wanting the devotional to be more general and not uh, specifically religious, religion-based, so to speak. Um, we mentioned Chicken Soup for the Soul. They are constantly looking for um, stories, and their stories to me are devotionals in a way. Um, they are much longer. That's what we were talking about, The how yep. long a normal devotional should be. Theirs usually are closer to a 1,000 words or so. Um, but really, their stories are trying to do the same thing. So that's a good place to look if you're if it's going to take a few more words to get your message across. Um, smaller uh, uh, devotionals are usually what you see in things like the upper room or um, our daily breads. Those are usually much smaller type devotionals. I think it's also great if you already have a blog or you already have a newsletter uh, following um, where people are already signing up to get information from you to use that as a way uh, to get some of your devotionals out there. And honestly, social media is is fantastic um, for for being able to share short messages. A 300-word devotional could fit within a note on Facebook, and I've, I've seen some authors use that very successfully um, to try to get their work out there in short bits. Um, they'll take kind of the nuggets from a book that they're, they're going to be using, and it'll be three to 500 words, and they'll make a note out of it. So, you know, it shows up on the home page or the, uh, what's it called, the timeline. It shows up on the Facebook timeline, and then you click on it, and it takes you into a larger page. So I think those are all ways to get the information out there. Cool. And how would somebody go about actually, like, getting into a periodical? Let's say that they want to be published in Our Daily Bread. Well, the key to that, the secret to that is really timing. Because, unfortunately, most of us don't think about Christmas till it's like November. Well, My Daily Bread has printed that book up, like, four months ago. They're already done, gone through the publishing and the editing long before Christmas ever hit. So you really have to be looking six to eight months out from when you're wanting to see the work published. So if you're doing a devotional for Christmas, you're really going to need to start looking at submitting it, some, like now, somewhere between March, April, and May, because that's when the cutoff is going to be. Usually the cutoff for December is around the summer, and the same with, let's say, Father's Day or Mother's Day. If you have a great devotional that has to do with being a parent or being a mother, you're not going to want to submit that in March if that's, the door's closed. You're going to want to look at when those uh, periodicals are actually accepting, and usually they're accepting things for Mother's Day at Christmas. So it's a matter of, of planning, planning out what it is you want to talk about and if it's seasonal. 
if it's specifically related to certain time frames, then to make sure that you're submitting it in the right timeline uh, time for that periodical to get it um, looked at. Sandra, I know that most uh, magazines and different uh, publications have writers' guidelines online where you can just go, you know, you just go through and it, it's pretty obvious, pretty easy to find there. Uh, is there a better way to do it than to just submit it uh, using their guidelines? Is there, a, is there a back door to get in or get a little more attention for your own? What I've found to be successful, the articles that I've actually gotten into the different magazines you mentioned, um, usually it has been by following their guideline. Sometimes what I'll do to, to try to help move the process along, because it can be very slow and tedious, is to make my subject line more intriguing. Um, it's kind of like if you're, you know, if you, it's just like when you look at your own email. <laughs> when you look at your email, if everything looks the same and sounds, you know, boring, you're going to keep flipping till you find something that's of interest to you. So um, if I put a new submission, uh, I try to make sure that the title isn't something that's just very dry and unintriguing. You're going to want to make them think, well, what is, what is that? You know, let me click on it to at least get a feel for what, you know, what is this title conveying to me? So I think that does help. Once you actually have a relationship with someone within a, peri- uh, within a magazine or a periodical, then I think it is helpful to go directly to that person uh, to bypass just their submission at, you know, XYZ company, which is where a lot of them will have you submit to. It's kind of just like a global mailbox that all the editors are pulling from. I think once you do have a personal contact there, that it is, that it, that is beneficial to go directly through them. As long as they don't, um, you know, say otherwise, you know, you definitely want to stay within uh, what they feel is acceptable. Sure, sure. So one of the things that I'm thinking of as far as the subject line of your email if you study their periodical, if you study their um, magazine or whatever, you're going to be able to see the kinds of titles that they like. And they're very different from organization to organization. Uh, so if you study it, it's, it's like anything else. You just have to take some time and get to know who you're writing to, who you're talking to before you, before you submit. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think you're absolutely right. I think it's important to uh, definitely don't submit to something you've never read. Because um, oftentimes they can tell that immediately because what right. you write probably is going to be in no way in, uh, in alignment with what their overall goal is. So you always want to to at least, you know, let's say if you're going to submit to your uh, our daily bread, you're going to want to get a couple of those, not just one series of them, but you're going to want to have a chance to read through a couple of their devotions at different seasons to get a feel for how, how what the writing looks like, how the word count is. You know, does it start with a scripture and ends with a prayer? You know, what does it look like? So that when you submit it, you submit yours in a way that looks like all they have to do is copy and paste it into the into their system and go. You know, if it looks like they're going to have to do a lot of retweaking, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, what? I think what you just said is probably the gold here. <laughs> So you know the title of the the title of the email is so important because otherwise it doesn't even get opened. But once they open it, if you have really done your homework and you give, you know, even for me as a radio show host, if somebody sends me in a proposal and it's on a topic that I cover, and it's it's by someone who I trust, you know, their their bio says, okay, this person is qualified to talk on this subject. 
And they just send it in and they give me the talk points already and I just read the talk points and go, oh my goodness, I want to learn all this stuff. You know, Sandra, I'm going to book that person 10 times faster than I'm going to put the, book the person who writes in and says, what is your show about? You know, and there's just no comparison. There's no comparison. Absolutely. And and that's why people will ask me, well, how do you get in Red Book? How do you get in, you know, Women's Day? Uh, someone would send me a question and say, do you know anything about such and such? And, you know, honestly, I could say, yeah, I know about that. <laughs> you know, yeah, what do you want to know? You know, so I could say that and send the email right back with three words in it. Uh, the difference was they probably sent that to 20 doctors. I sat there and I yeah. would write up an entire article on it. And so the next thing I get back is the next thing I get back is okay. <laughs> you know, you want to yep. make it easy. These people are like everybody else. They have they have deadlines and they're overworked and probably underpaid. <laughs> so they they want to use their time effectively. And so you want to be a part of helping them do that because then you become someone that they they enjoy working with. And they can really trust you. They can they can mm-hmm. say, I know if I reach out to her, she's not going to just run me around the block five times. She's going to actually give mm-hmm. me what I need. That's so cool. Well, let's move on and talk about the five critical elements needed in every life-changing devotional. Well, the, the very first thing is to make sure that it's Bible-based. Um, you don't want a, dev- a devotional in, in general should be in some way directing people toward God. So you don't want a devotional that does not have at least some type of biblical truth within it. So even though you may not want your devotional to read like the old fashioned <laughs> devotions with a scripture, a t- you know, a conversation and a prayer, you may not want it to look like that. It still has to be Bible based. So that's the number one first thing uh, is to determine what truth from the Bible that you're going to be sharing. Um, And then once you have that, you may even want to have a specific scripture so that you yourself can stay focused on what it is you're trying to convey. The second thing is to try to make it audience focused. Um, You have to figure out who are you, who is this going to be addressed towards? You know, if you're addressing it towards young moms, you may discuss things a little bit different than you're discussing um, an empty nest type situation. So you want to know who your audience is you're, just, you're addressing. Um, topics that are on unisex, that could be male or female, um, would be addressed different than topics that are all female or that are all male. Even just some of the words that are used make a difference. There are some words that seem to be more feminine and that you may not want to necessarily use, or even um, background pictures. If you use pictures within your devotions, you know, guys aren't really drawn to flowers. They're less likely to read it (laughs) if it has a flower on top of it. So just to kind of keep that in mind on who you're talking to. Um, The third element is to try to make sure that it's topic-specific. A devotion should be short in general. It should be concise. So you should have a specific topic that you're focusing on. Now, within that topic, you may expand and get, you know, uh, have just this great literary work that has all this uh, beautiful writing. That's great, but it should stay on a specific topic. Uh, The fourth element should be it should reveal something about God. It should reveal something about either his character, his personality, how he interacts with people, um, how he uses things in people's lives. It's just, and it doesn't even have to say God. <laughs> it doesn't even have to mention him specifically. But within that, there should be a teaching lesson about life in general and the big picture uh, theme. And then fifth, it should inspire to some type of action. 
there should be a there should be a progression uh, within those elements because before life change can occur, there has to be an action that's taken. So it should inspire to an action to an endpoint. Those are so great. I want to kind of go back a little bit, but while I do, I want to give you a moment, Sandra, because I'm actually going to, in the next segment, I'm going to have you read us one of yours, (laughs) one of your short devotionals. So I'm going to have you start thinking about that right now, which one you might like to share with us in the next section. But um, I want to talk about this point that you bring up about number one, Bible-based, and number two, should reveal something about God, even if you don't use his name. And you think about the book Esther in the Bible and how, you know, God really is never mentioned in that book, and that's in the Bible. And my experience, like going speaking, I will go speak like for a women's conference for a weekend, but then I'll build some business conferences in around it. And at the business conferences, I don't get to say the name of Jesus. I don't get to um, do that in that setting. But it's amazing to me how afterwards the Christians will come up to me and say, I can tell that you, you know, that you are a God lover. Uh, you know, it's just that Jesus shines out through a Christian, and you don't want to put that that light under a bush. That's what I, I hear you trying to find the <laughs> devotional. Sorry, I didn't give you an advance notice about that. <laughs> I, I haven't. I wouldn't grab <laughs> Uh, I didn't go and grab it, but um, but you're right. You do want to be able to, um, you always want to be able to talk about God when you can, but you're right. Sometimes that's not possible. And I know a lot of um, Christian authors had mentioned um, kind of having uh, um, reservations about a, about submitting things to Chicken Soup for the Soul because it is not a technical Christian publication. You know, it, it discusses really all the religions, but I think that's, that's the beauty of Christians submitting to them is that you can share some very powerful truths about God without ever having to say God or Jesus or, or any of that, but you can still share the truth within the message. And I think Jesus is the best example of that. You know, most of the parables he gave, he never said anything specifically about God. He told stories about people planting things and farmers and in the back of your head, you're thinking, you know, but it was all telling you a truth about the character of God. They were all using that. It was using basically a devotional type setup to inspire and then to transform. I love that. That's such a good point. And one of the things that came to my mind while you were talking was that someone might say, well, aren't you just being embarrassed about, you know, saying Jesus, but really what we're taught to do is we're taught to come under the authority that's over us and to stay under that authority unless they require us to disobey God. So if I'm in a business setting giving a talk, I'm not going to use the name Jesus unless I've been given permission to do that in that setting because I'm under the authority of the planner who brought me in. That doesn't mean I'm ashamed of Jesus at all. It just means I'm staying under that authority there right there. Same with a submission to a secular magazine, Red Book, or wherever. If you're going to submit something in there, the beauty is that you still have Jesus. You still have the biblical principles that are there. And people later, you know, on your byline, when they click through and go back to your website, what are they going to find there? They're going to find Jesus there. You know, so it's right, such right. a beautiful way. It's kind of this uh, sneaky marketing plan God has going on. It's so cool, and yeah, he's always doing that and always uh, surprising us that way. Well, this is Marty Swedberg visiting today with Sandra Dalton-Smith of 
ichoosemybestlife.com. We're going to come back and talk about strategies to help you overcome writer's block when you're writing your devotionals and also the number one best way to end your devotional. We'll be right back. And right now we get to look ahead a little bit. So next week on Blog Talk Radio here, Wednesday afternoons always at 3 p.m. Central Time, we're going to talk next week about money training, your new money mindset. The week after that we have author training with Cecil Murphy, one of my favorite guests ever. And that's going to be lessons from a multi-million best-selling author. You don't want to miss that on April 6th. On April 13th we have event planner training coming, how to cast vision and how to manage your time when you're hosting a large event. And then on the 20th of April, seven keys to starting a profitable business. On the 27th of April, write your training again with Peter Bowerman. That's awesome. And then uh, I'm going to be gone in Africa after that for a little bit, but um, or during that for a little bit, and those will just be airing while I'm gone. And then when I come back uh, on May 4th, 10 Secrets to Becoming a Worry-Free Mom, which takes us all the way up to Mother's Day, which is crazy how fast time flies, but it's a good thing and just takes us closer to heaven to that super there. Sandra, let's come back now and talk about strategies to help you overcome writer's blocks when writing devotionals. Well, as far as writer's block, for me, one of the key things that I do, if I'm really at a point where I feel like I can't think up another creative idea, I can't find one more thing (laughs) to talk about, I actually turn on social media and I start um, just reading through some of um, everyday life issues people are going through and the things that people are talking about. I know um, when writing my my current book, I would pull it up and I'm trying and I'm discussing things that people find painful and and need Mm -hmm. God to help them heal from. Now, you know, in medicine, I see a lot of the medical aspect of it, but I'm not a psychiatrist or, you know, a counselor, so I don't see as much as the emotional side of it or the spiritual side that maybe a pastor's wife would see. So I go online, and um, and there you go. I have, you know, all my pastor wives are, <laughs> are discussing the things that they're struggling with, or, um, you know, I go into some of the private groups and things that I'm in, and, and obviously you're not going to discuss anyone's mm-hmm. personal situation. It's a topic. So if they're dealing with feeling unworthy, of the call of God on their life. That's a devotional idea right there. Or if someone's feeling insecure uh, about something, all of those are, are teaching points that you can then, because oftentimes if you read someone's story on Facebook or someone's post and it, it, and it causes an emotional response in you, there's something there that you connect with. And that's the whole point of a devotional. You want people to connect with that feeling and then you want to help guide them back to God on how to use that feeling to have a transformational response to it. Mm, that's good. Yeah, so kind of tapping into something else. You know, oftentimes before I even start looking for something like that, I was just doing it, and I can't remember what it was that I needed the other day. I needed the answer to something. I just needed the answer to something, and I just prayed, God, just help me to have eyes to see it, you know, and just to pray before you start looking for that, and, and it's amazing how the spiritual eyes can see things that the physical eyes would miss. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah. 
Okay, so any other strategies that you personally have for overcoming writer's block? Sometimes for me, it also helps just to, to, to disconnect from the process of writing, uh, as, as in writing for others to consume and to write for myself. Um, there's something about um, when you're writing, um, if you're a bit of a perfectionist, you have a tendency to want everything to sound correct when you first put it on the, the when you first either type it up on a keyboard or you pin it to paper, you want it to flow the first time you put it down. And that's just not mm-hmm. always conducive to writing when it's coming from a spiritual place. Sometimes it comes in pieces and bits, and you have to kind of get all of that out of you first. And then look back at it um, after you've had a chance to kind of get it out. Um, trying to make it all sound good the first time, I think, is oftentimes part of the creative block that people have. It may not come out sounding beautiful the first time you put it on paper or you type it out on your keyboard. Sometimes it's just these great thoughts or these great nuggets, and you have to get that out before it just completely leaves your mind um, and get that documented. And then you can go back and kind of flesh it out and piece it together. Mm, so good. Another thing that I know um, helps a lot is, and it's along the same line of that, disconnecting from the process of writing for publication, is just set a timer for however long, maybe 15 minutes, and just free flow. Just write everything that comes into your head. Just write it all down. And it's amazing. A lot of times the idea is right there. Um, when you just just relax off of the I have to get it all right or anything. Um, sometimes the idea is right there. And another thing I like to do, I'm I'm kind of a listy. I shouldn't even say kind of. I'm like totally a listy. <laughs> and so um, if I will just start making lists, like I'll maybe make six squares, uh, you know, six quadrants on a piece of note paper, and I'll label the sections. Maybe one section will be, so another section will be family members, maybe events locations, um, experiences, like that. And I'll just start scribbling um, ideas that come to my mind. You know, I'll start with one quadrant. I'll just scribble everything down that I think of there. And then when I get done with that, um, this little brainstorming exercise, I'll just look at it and just say, God, is there anything here? And a lot of times what I need is right there. And I think that that's maybe the biggest part of writer's block is that there's a fear that you won't find the right idea. Does that resonate with you? I think that is an important part of it, definitely. Yeah. So where do you think writer's block actually comes from? Like for you, where does it come from? Um, For me, it comes from wanting to get it. I I like the thought of being able to write it one time and then go back and just edit it for grammatical reasons. That's just not realistic in most writing. But, you know, in a professional level, that's what I do. You know, if I'm actually writing a note on someone's medical chart, I don't intend to go back and edit that again. You know, I intend to write it one time. And I think that's how most of us look at writing. We look at it like we're doing the grocery list. Let's get it right the first time so I don't have to look at this thing again. And that's just not realistic. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, good. Good. Well, that's a great input there, too. Okay, well, we're going to close with the best, the number one best way to end your devotional. But first, I'd like you to give us a sample of one of yours and tell us where you got it from. Um, well, this is one that I wrote uh, independently for, I think it was um, for Focus on the Family. It's one that I wrote about my son. It's about 300 words, so it's fairly short. Um, I'll just start reading it quickly. Um, let's see. It's called Streams of Praise. 
Uh, my son was diagnosed with a speech impediment when he was in kindergarten. He was very cautious about opening up and speaking to the other kids due to his slowness of his speech. Discouraged by not being able to answer question, questions as quickly as the other kids in his class, he would simply just sit quietly. Um, many believed his silence suggested a lack of knowledge when, in fact, it was an inability to communicate that knowledge. As he began working with the speech pathologist, his confidence in not only his intellect, but also in his ability to relay what he knew to others began to increase. One day when I arrived early to pick him up uh, for his speech appointment, I paused at a familiar sound. It was the sound of the, my son's voice reading out loud, something he didn't did often at home but never in public. Not wanting to disturb this rare display of extroverted behavior, I stood quietly at the classroom door. The words streamed from his mouth beautifully, like a praise melody of articulation. At the end of the story, I heard the class erupt into applause. All of his classmates piled around him asking questions about the story and congratulating him on a great job of reading. In the car on our way to the speech therapist, my son turned to me and exclaimed, we did it. I quickly corrected, no, baby, you did it. I didn't do a thing. He smiled and replied to me, no, mama, not you and me, me and God. Mm. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and that's how you ended it right there. That's how I ended it. And well, and uh, well, and I ended it the way I say is the best way to end every devotional. Um, after that, it goes into a prayer. And the prayer says, thank you, God, for being available wherever we call. Teach us how to rest in you and in every situation, knowing that you are with us. And then I add a thought for the day. God is my strength, my help. And with a prayer focus um, for children with speech uh, disabilities and for their parents that are working with them. That's so great. And, you know, it reminds me, I, I mentioned uh, earlier that Cecil Murphy's coming back here in April, and he's written so many bestsellers. But one that's one of the things that he says that most writers do wrong is what you did so right there, is that most writers want to explain it. After the punchline, after the moment where you just go, oh, <laughs> most writers <laughs> want to go back in there and say, do you see what just happened? You know, and to really take away the opportunity for the for the devotional to be transformational. So you that's such a great feel, example. To feel and respond. That that's the you don't want to feel, explain, and respond. It should be feel and respond because that's what we do in our everyday natural lives. We feel something, we mm-hmm. respond to it. And so that's that's what you want them to do when they read the devotional. Feel something. And then you want a response. And like, and the number one best way to end every devotional is really directing them back to communication with God. That's really the whole purpose of a devotional is to draw people back to him. So whether it's a prayer, a prayer focus, uh, an invitation to journal, uh, there's so many different ways to do it. But you want it to turn it back to him, away from whatever it is you were discussing, whether it's speech impediments or disease or whatever, Whatever the situation may be, you always wanted to then have them focus back on him. Hmm, so beautiful. Well, we have a couple minutes left here, Sandra, and I'm wondering, you know, you have a very vast background in doing these little devotionals and in, in getting them published. Is there anything else that's bubbling to the surface of your thoughts that has come up during the hour that you just wished you had time to address? Well, one thing I will say is not to get discouraged if you're um, writing for any type of publication. Um, just keep at it. You know, the, if you submit one and they don't accept it the first time, 
see, ask, don't be afraid to say, well, what didn't you like, <laughs> you know, um, and then be able to take that constructive criticism, maybe even retweak the same devotional with whatever the points are that they want to change and submit it back to them or submit it somewhere else um, based on, you know, their recommendations. But I think that's part of it is just being able to put yourself out there, not being afraid to, to share a little bit of your heart. And if it's, you know, if it comes back that they didn't like the first version of what you shared, that don't to not stop there, to go ahead and continue to to tweak and to put it back out there as as you feel led. Oh, that's so awesome! Well, you guys, our guest today is Dr. Sandra Dalton Smith of IChooseMyBestLife.com. Sandra, if people go over to your website, what are they going to find there? I discuss everything from medical issues to family life to parenting to health care to the spiritual aspects of it uh, is anything that would limit somebody from living their best life. That's really what um, what my mission is, is to help people uh, see that the, their best life is before them. Uh, it's, it's a matter of choice. You have to choose it. Um, God says, I place before you life and death. Choose life. It is a choice. And unfortunately, a lot of us choose um, to walk a path that is not what he, he intends for us. Mm, so great. And her books are Come Empty, Pour Out Life's Hurts, and Receive God's Healing Love, and also Set Free to Live Free, Breaking Through the Seven Lies Women Tell Themselves. That sounds awesome. Well, I hope you guys will check out her website. Sandra, thank you so much for being here this afternoon. Marty, thank you. Okay, and you guys, thank you. We can't have a show without listeners, and it's always so fun to have you along with us live here at Blog Talk Radio, as well as those of you who listen around the net at uh, Stitcher or iTunes or on the individual uh, pages and the syndicated stations. Thank you so much, and thank you to our hosts always for your participation and help with this too, and we will see you next time. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.